Let us pray. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All the leaves are brown and the skies are gray. The sun came out after the 7.30 service. Thankfully, it's gone back into the clouds. Helps a lot to set the mood. That song by the mamas and the papas was in my mind yesterday. One, because it accurately described what I saw outside my window and my run in Cameron Park. But it also described the vibe as the Christmas tree was coming down and the ornaments were getting packed back up and all that sort of happening. Maybe your decorations are not yet put away. Maybe they are, but I can tell you what, the world has moved on. The Christmas specials are over, the Muzak has been reset to 90s R&B, the Target shelves are now, even the Christmas, post-Christmas sales are over, it's, you blink and it's like Cadbury eggs are there and it is happening. So we're nine days into the new year, moved on, and of course now it's time for me as your pastor to ask you a very important question. How's it going on the resolutions? <laughs> uh, maybe you do them. Maybe it's going well. Talk to me in February. Maybe you don't do them. But whether you do them or don't do them, I am a not doer of them. Nevertheless, it's really hard to um, not feel on some level, this expectation of self-improvement. Again, I am not someone who makes New Year's resolutions, but I have not been able to avoid that vague sense out there in the world that I am flawed and need to improve. Whether it's the ads on social media for weight loss, whether it's um, the Planet Fitness billboards that are sort of dominating the landscape, uh, just everywhere, there's kind of this indication that uh, you're not doing great, and would you please improve? So, I mean, what better way to begin the new year than um, start thinking about the things you don't like about yourself? <laughs> Body, sculpt it. Weight, lose it. Screen time, reduce it. Addictions, kick it. Books, read them. Work goals, achieve them. Grief, get over it. Emotions, control them. Relationships, fix them. You have 12 months. Come on, willpower. This time we'll get it done. It's going to be our year. Now, I ask you a rather depressing question. What would happen if you actually were able to check off all those boxes? Think about all the things that you don't like about yourself, that you would fix if you could. And let's say this is the year you do get it done. You end the year with visible abs. (laughs) Therapy helps you realize some deep truths from your childhood and you resolve things by having conversations you've been putting off for years. Let's say you... uh, Stop procrastinating. Whatever is on your list, let's say you make significant progress during 2022. And on December 31st, how do you think you might feel? 
Well, I don't know. But let's look at a very important source of wisdom, a well of knowledge that never runs dry, the life of Mariah Carey. So Mariah, not only has she had two Christmas specials on Apple TV, not only does she have a five-octave range, one of those ranges is so high they call it her whistle range. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, She grew up in a very difficult uh, home, biracial, Long Island, trying to figure out where she fit and who she was, divorce, dysfunction, conflict with her siblings, all kinds of difficult stuff, and so, uh, as well as an undiagnosed for many years mental illness, and she's written very honestly about this, and one thing she has said is that even at this stage of her life, having um, achieved so much, 19 number one hits, one more and she equals the Beatles. So she's had all the success any way you can count it, measure it, think about it. And she says she still deals with feelings of massive inadequacy and questioning her own self-worth. So I put that before you just to say, uh, kind of to let you off the hook a little bit, just to say that you could, you, could, you could reach the top of the mountain, whatever that goal is, and you would still, unfortunately, find yourself to be you. You would still have those issues. As they say in uh, 12-step rooms, if you've been in one, you never graduate from your humanity. And that's not to depress you. It is to bring you back to that delightful world I like to call reality and to preach a message to the real you. Because I would like to talk to the real you. Not to the one that everybody sees, but to you at 3 a.m. What's on your mind at that point? That's what I want to speak to today. And I want to say two things on January 9th. My main point is going to be this, that God loves you. And my second point is going to be, no, really, God loves you. I want to talk, to get to that, I want to talk a little bit about Epiphany, this season of the church year that we're in. I do want to mention George Clooney briefly and ending with the baptism of Jesus Christ and some help from Garrison Keillor. So that's where we're going today. So let me begin now with the Epiphany. Now, some of you grew up in church traditions where there were two seasons of the church year, VBS and everything else. In the Episcopal Church, we have a much broader understanding of the church year. It means every year we walk through the life of Christ. We begin with Advent, Jesus is coming. We go into Christmas, 12 days, Jesus is in the building. And then we move to Epiphany, and it's going to be the six to seven weeks before Lent where we are looking at Jesus' revealing. His, uh, the, the Epiphany means revealing. That's why you say, I've had an Epiphany. Aha! I get it now. So this is the season where Jesus has been born, and now we begin to learn some very surprising, unexpected truths about him and his ministry. And so the first day of Epiphany is the wise men arriving, January 6th. The Magi show up, and we learn that, aha! He's not just for the Jewish people, he's also for the Persian space wizards. And that means everybody. Jesus is for everybody. And we actually get that idea too in Acts chapter 8 today, where those nasty Samaritans, <laughs> thank you, yes, they get the Holy Spirit too. Think about whoever you dislike. 
Are you a Republican? Think about those Prius driving vegans. They also get the Holy Spirit. Are you a Democrat? Do you drive a Prius? Think about those red hat wearing people. They also get the Holy Spirit. This is the message of Acts 8. Even the Samaritans get the Holy Spirit. Jesus is for them too. So this is the revealing season of Epiphany. And we are in that today. And today we get to uh, January 9th, the baptism of our Lord. And I want to talk about what that means. But first, in this revealing, as I said, my first point is that God loves you. And this is what we see in the Old Testament reading from Isaiah 43. And it's this idea, um, again, very clear throughout the passage, that you are loved, that you are valuable, that you are worth something to God. That God is aware of you, drawn to you, uh, and cherishes you. Even though you, like the people of Israel, are not good at keeping your New Year's resolutions, even though you go through hard times, God says he will not abandon you. That's what it said. You'll go through the flood and the waters will not overwhelm you. You'll go through the fires, but you won't be burned up. I'll be with you in the hard times. And then he says this thing, I would give up Egypt as your ransom. I would exchange Egypt and Ethiopia for you. I don't know if you ever received a Valentine's Day card that said that. But it's a way of saying you are extremely valuable. I would give up something that the world would say is really important in order to get you in exchange. To put this maybe in a context that makes more sense for you, imagine your significant other. Or the person you would hope would be your... Some, if you would hope to have a significant other, if you've had that person, remember when it was good, uh, if you have one now and it's good, just think about your significant other, someone who you would like to like you. And imagine, again, we're just imagining here, imagine before you two really got serious, they were in another relationship with someone else. We're going to fill in the blank here, and depending on your preferences, it can be either George Clooney or Beyonce. Those are your choices. So imagine your significant other is in a very serious relationship with George Clooney slash Beyonce. Pre-Amal, pre-Jay-Z. Beyonce slash George Clooney in a very serious relationship with your significant other. Now you've had your eye on your significant other. You would like them to notice you. You walk into the restaurant, you see George slash Beyonce sitting with your significant other. White tablecloth, candle lit, staring deep into each other's eyes. Your significant other hears you enter, turns, locks eyes with you, turns to George slash Beyonce, I'm sorry, but it's over. (laughs) They get up from the table, make a beeline for you, and it's like slow motion. And they come up to you, drop to one knee, and propose. This is what it means to say, I would give up Egypt and Ethiopia for you. I was going to combine them, Egyopia. It's giving up something that the world says, you should go for this. But they give that up to be with you. And this is what God says to the people of Israel. I, I love you. I choose you. And this is a new idea in human history when this appears in this book and among these people. Because every other religion in those days, and still in many ways today, the deity is someone who's sort of like, ah, you puny humans, serve me, more sacrifices. And then maybe if you do it right, 
that God will give you what you want. But it's transactional. And it's hierarchical. It's power over you. And you try to make God happy to get what you want. This idea, I love you. I would give up valuable things for you. You're really not that special, but I just love you so much. You've messed up a ton. I love you so much. Like, this is the idea. And this is so desperately needed. Because despite all of our posturing that we have it together, we do not. And you're actually, as a human being, somebody who deeply needs to be loved and needs to belong. There's a song in R.E.M.'s 1991 album, Out of Time. It's a deep cut, never released as a single, and it's called Belong. And uh, I'm seriously thinking about a Sunday school class just on this song because it describes a world falling apart and a mother pulling her child close to her and whispering to the child, belong. You belong. And there's something so, to me, profound about that because I want that. And I have a hunch that everybody here sort of wants that too. And so this idea that God loves you, that's my first point, and that's what is in this Isaiah reading. But we have a problem because that was from a galaxy far, far away, a time long, long ago, and it feels very removed. It was for a whole nation of people. Israel, what does that have to do with me? Am I loved? And this is where I get to the baptism of Jesus and I'm headed for a landing. And it's basically just to say this, that Jesus makes concrete, real and personal, this abstract idea of the love of God for you. And he does it starting in this moment with John the Baptist getting baptized in the River Jordan. And if you can picture that event, John is there looking wild as he does, and people are lining up to be baptized. And you can imagine that there's two lines. There's line A and line B. And line A is for the perfect people. It's a very short line. There's one person in it. And then there's the line B. That's the line for sinners. And we know from earlier in this passage that these people were going to John for a baptism of repentance. They were making New Year's resolutions, trying to turn over a new leaf and stop the bad and embrace the good and all of that. They're coming to John to seal the deal. And that line B, full of those sinners, is really long. And Jesus approaches, gets in line A, and does this really odd thing. He steps out of line A into line B with all the sinners, takes a number, waits his turn, and gets into the murky waters of the River Jordan with all those humans. And this begins his entire ministry of doing just that. Making room in line A by taking himself into line B. And he follows the same pattern throughout his ministry. Embracing sinners, touching sick people, forgiving those who need it, i.e. everybody. And the whole time staying in line B with the sinners of the world. So much so that he goes to a cross. A cross which is really only for people who are outlaws, who are lawbreakers, who are sinners. And he begins this at the River Jordan by stepping out of the perfect line, getting into the sinful line, and beginning that journey for you, as I say, all the way to the cross. 
Now, I wanted to say a little bit about Garrison Keillor, and then we'll end. Garrison Keillor is the voice of my childhood. I can picture myself in the back of my dad's Volvo, listening to NPR and hearing Prairie Home Companion. And Garrison Keillor, this writer, author, poet, speaker, I think now Episcopalian, judging by his recent writings, he writes a lot about life in the American Midwest and family stories from Lake Wobegon. And he describes this moment where the family was gathered for a meal to pray. And it was Uncle John's turn to say grace. And he writes that everybody knew that when Uncle John prayed, Uncle John was going to mention Jesus and the cross. There's probably somebody in your family that when they draw the prayer straw, you're like, oh, it's going to be a 15-minute, the turkey's going to get cold. And Garrison Keillor says that, you know, we all knew about Jesus and the cross. We all knew that Jesus had died for our sins. But the thing about Uncle John, he never got over it. If I, by the power of the Holy Spirit, could get one thing into your mind and into your heart and into your soul today, is to not get over the fact that Jesus gave himself for you. And this makes the love of God real, concrete, and personal. It happened in a time and a place. You can still visit that place and see where this happened. God entered into human history, got into line B with all the sinners, and gives himself for you. This is not just some platitude, God loves you. This is a cross. This is a tomb. This is a resurrection. This is God for you in the most deeply powerful way possible. And the reason it's hard to hear is because the world tells you you're not good enough and you're basically worthless. And it's also hard to hear because you're suffering. That is real. There is not a single person here that doesn't have an unsolvable problem in his or her life. And so the love of God can sound a little uh, tinny in your ears. But this is the thing. As Isaiah prophesied, you will go through the floodwaters. You will go through the fire. But God will not abandon you. He will be with you in it. And of course, that's exactly what we see as Jesus literally steps into the waters where you are. Those murky waters of the Jordan River where all the sinners have gathered. He enters into that. So your suffering is not a sign of God's displeasure or distance. It actually means that you are the place where Christ is. This doesn't make everything all better, but it does mean what I said at the beginning. You are loved. And my second point, no, really, you are loved. Let us pray. Almighty God, grant that we would be able to hear and know and feel deeply your love for us. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.